0: There are certain questions that uh, get asked again and again by uh, those who are either uh, struggling with the faith or inquiring uh, in terms of the faith, of Christianity, and um, many of those questions are very sincere questions, sometimes They are smoke screens that even if all of the questions are answered, uh, they still are not going to uh, trust in Christ alone for eternal life. Uh, But one of those questions uh, that is a a question that that should be addressed uh, goes something like this. There's lots of different forms of it. And that is, if, if we say that there's only one way to heaven, and that is trusting in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life, and that is what we say, that is what we believe the Bible teaches, but if, <clears throat> if we're going to say that, then the question is, what about the innocent native somewhere in the world that has never had the opportunity to hear the name of Jesus? What about them? And the implication is this. It wouldn't be fair for them to be condemned if they've never heard the name of Jesus. How could that possibly be fair, for them to be condemned, and yet you see the dilemma. We say you've got to trust in Jesus for eternal life. Now, it's a great question. It has stumped many who have uh, been addressed that, that question, but interestingly enough, This passage that is before us today actually addresses that very issue. So let's uh, give our attention to the Word of God. Uh, This is from uh, the Apostle Paul. We are in the book of of Romans uh, beginning a, a study which will go on for many weeks. And we're calling it the Gospel of God Because uh, that's specifically what this is. The the book of Romans unfolds in a lot of detail what the gospel really is. So beginning with verse uh, 16 in Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, indeed, even as, as we sung just a moment ago, will you speak? Now, the reality is you've already spoken. We have just heard from you and your word. But we pray that your precious spirit would now remove distractions from our hearts and our minds that would uh, keep us from having discerning hearing of what you want to teach us today. And so we ask for that in the precious name of Christ. Amen. So Paul here moves into uh, the section that uh, those who only ever want to talk about the love of God, which, you know what, if I had my druthers, that's all I would talk about too. I would talk about his love and grace. But that's the beauty of going straight through Scripture because uh, uh, we, we never would have a right a right understanding of his love and grace if we don't understand the idea of his wrath. Here's what he says, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In the last passage that we looked at, We uh, looked at justification by faith. We looked at all those big theological words about uh, the righteousness of Christ becoming our righteousness and uh, the beauty of the gospel at that point. So the the question is, why why now does he seem to take a step backwards? After talking about this good news, which is going to be uh, pervasive throughout this book, Why does he now step back and begin to talk about the wrath of God? Well, as I said, we will never grasp the need for the gospel until we see the plight of mankind without a relationship with God. And so he is dealing, he's dealing with the Romans here, uh, the Roman Church and uh, those that aren't believers yet, and he is—he's explaining to them the really the background of why there is the absolute need for the gospel, and ultimately, <clears throat> he's answering the the question, why did Jesus have to go to a cross and die on a cross for his people? And so he begins to historically look at why that need was there. In the next sections, he's going to explain it. The man is ungodly and unrighteous and has caused God's wrath to be expressed. Now, the word uh, that's used here for wrath... It's an intense emotion. But what we need to know about it is it's not an uncontrolled emotion. In other words, it's not like there's another word that could be used you know, for him to, to uh, or somebody to blow up uh, or lose their temper. That's not the case here. That's not at all what it's saying. There's another word that's used for when he pours out his wrath at, at, at the end of world history before the new heaven and the new earth, and he does that upon Satan and those who would choose his way. That's a different word. This is more like, uh, an in, it is an intense emotion, but it's that which builds up. So it's, it's almost like uh, water that would build up behind a dam before it would then be displayed in some way. Now notice, Paul talks in the present tense. He says the wrath of God is revealed. So the question is how, you know, we know that it, you know, at the end he's going to reveal his wrath upon those who don't believe. But, How is it being revealed now? Let me give you from two different commentators. Uh, Charles Hodge gives three ways. He said his wrath is revealed by the actual punishment of sin. Number two, the inherent tendency of moral evil to produce misery. Come back to that one. Or the voice of conscience. And then another commentator, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones Lists all these things in terms of how God's wrath is being revealed conscience, disease and illness, the state of creation, the universality of death, uh, history, and at the center, the cross and the resurrection. And I think all of those actually are accurate in terms of how it is being revealed. But I, I really think that Charles Hodge is onto something. Uh, or was on to something. He's with the Lord now. But uh, he said, where he said, the inherent tendency of moral evil to produce misery. And the reason I think that that, that may be especially what he's, uh, Paul's getting at here is because he's about to describe the kind of misery that has come to mankind <clears throat> because of their sin. So, We want to think uh, perhaps in those terms. He's going to talk about in the coming verses and coming weeks the the downward spiral of what has happened with mankind, mankind that has turned away from God. What is the natural result in essence uh, when God chooses and this is what he will find out he does. He chooses to no longer restrain man from himself or his choices. And they're going to look very familiar when we get to those. So, back to our initial question, and, and this is going to be part one of the answer to our question about uh, what about the uh, innocent native? Uh, somewhere in the world that uh, never hears the name of Jesus, uh, what's going to happen to them? Well, here's the answer. The innocent native uh, that uh, never has heard will go straight to heaven. And the reason is because innocent people are not guilty so they don't need a savior. There is a problem, though. There are no innocent natives, there are no innocent individuals anywhere. And so, when somebody asks you a question, the first thing you want to do is look at all the presuppositions in the question. So, that's the first thing that has to be addressed, and Paul is going to address it uh, again and again uh, in especially the early chapters in Romans, but that moves us to uh, the, the next part. Remember, there is no innocent native anywhere. In fact, Paul talks about the the status of mankind in verse 18 as ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And he's going to go on in chapter 3 to uh, give a convincing argument that that includes everyone. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he's he's going to tell us that uh, it's, it's not just far-reaching, it is complete-reaching so that there are none that are innocent. At the end of verse 18, two things are mentioned that cause this intense emotion of wrath. Ungodliness, and uh, most commentators would say it, that, that is especially in terms of attitudes uh, toward God and uh, unrighteousness or wickedness. And uh, some feel that that has to do with how we treat other people. But then there are some commentators that would say, look, those two things, they're different words, but they're describing uh, something that comes to a point and that has caused God's anger to be directed at one specific thing, which is ungodly and unethical. So what's that one thing? Well, this passage says it's the suppression of the truth. Look at the last part of 18 and verse 19. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, So it's connecting that there's God's wrath, there's ungodliness, unrighteousness, and it's because they've suppressed the truth. Uh, Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So the word here uh, translated suppress uh, carries with it the idea of pressing down on something, and I, you know, when I read that in terms of the word study, I kind of think of a jack in a box. Do they still make jack in okay, a box? Okay, a jack in a box. I didn't think of that till this moment. Uh, you know, where you you press down, and what's going to happen if you let go? Well, it's pressing back, basically, unless something restrains it. It's going to. Press upward, and, and so this is the idea of suppression. The other, the other way this word is used is in terms of uh, incarceration, people in jail or, or prison. And, and you say, well, what's that got to do with that? Well, think of it. Those in jail are typically going to press outward. I only know of two exceptions to that. One would be uh, in Acts where uh, the apostles are in, in prison, there's an earthquake, and uh, the, the doors open, and the Philippian jailer's about to kill himself because he said, well, that's it, you know, all my prisoners are going to be gone. But he found them in there praying, and uh, he came to Christ, uh, so that's the, the one instance where the prisoners didn't flee when the gate opened, and then, uh, of course, there's uh, Otis Campbell on uh, uh, a- Andy Griffith's show, you know. With- but those are the only two I could think of, really. Which dated me as well. Yeah, that's not being made anymore, is it? Okay. So, here's the idea. Otherwise, the uh, prisoners, the doors open and they press out. And so, this is saying... This is what it takes to ignore the truth. You've got to, you've got to really work at pressing down on it because it is, it is really there. It is so obvious. And you might say, well, how? And what's this have to do with our, our native that is not innocent? Well, Paul is saying... Uh, that that is what mankind has done with the truth and knowledge of God. How so? Well, look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. So what it's saying there is that God's attributes are plain to people. It doesn't say they're in the Bible. It says they're plain to them. So it's, it's one thing to claim that anyone can know about God, but that's not all that's being claimed here. What the Scripture is saying is everyone does know down deep in their heart of hearts that there is a God. How so? same verse, because God has shown it to them. God revealed those attributes. Or God has made it plain to them. Now, let's do a little theology. Here's what uh, theologians would call uh, general revelation or natural revelation. And that's as opposed to special or supernatural revelation. Supernatural revelation is the Word of God. What Paul is talking about here is a natural or general revelation that you don't have to have a Bible to read about. You just have to, as Brendan said earlier, be a person. <laughs> you know, you just have to exist, and if you exist then you can read about these attributes. Now, how so? What about these, you know, if someone's never heard a preacher or heard the radio or the Internet or had a Bible, how are they going to know? And what can they know? Uh, Verse 20, "...for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived." ever since the creation of the world, and here's, how they, here's where they read it, in the things that have been made. In creation. So what can one know about God just from creation? Well, you can know his general attributes. You can know he exists you can know he's powerful, that he's a God of order. You look at the seasons, the planets and all that, and you see he's a God of order. You can know he loves beauty because of the beauty of his creation. I also have this little theory that you, you, you can also know that God's favorite colors are blue and green and brown. You look around. So we can know that, I think, about him. But the bottom line is that, that Paul says there is enough out there to where we can absolutely know that there is a God. Now, <clears throat> this isn't a new concept with Paul, there is a counterpart. In the Old Testament, Psalm 19, and I'll just read it to you. Uh, Psalm 19, the first six verses The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There it is, you see, he's being revealed. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. You see it? Everybody, everybody can see this. And their words to the end of the world, in them he has set a tent for the sun, and so on. So there's the idea that out there in this world that everyone knows there is a God. Here's, there's an old illustration, it's like, Suppose you're walking through uh, the desert. There's no civilization anywhere around that you can see, and you see something shiny, and you you look down and you you dig around a little bit and you pick it up, and it's a watch. Now, unless you're a fool, you're not gonna you're not gonna say, oh well, you know, isn't that amazing? You know, all this. Sand and wind and sun has gone together, and in some lucky way, it all came together, and it it made this watch. Nobody's going to say that. What do you know? You know there's a watchmaker somewhere. Or you look at a, a painting, and you may not know the artist's name, but you know there was an artist that painted that painting. That's what we have here. That's, what, that's general revelation. We can't, can't know the name of Jesus. We can't know a lot of the theological terms that we have talked about. But there are things that we can and do know unless we suppress that truth to where we convince ourselves that we don't know if there's a God. So in terms of the application, what, what, are, what are the results of the fact that that knowledge is there, that Paul is saying, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying that everyone knows that God exists. Here's the application. So they are without excuse that's the application right there now back to our native paul is saying down deep he knows there is a god if he doesn't hear a preacher or have a bible he doesn't know that God's name but he knows there is a God and here's what we need to remember he will be responsible only for the knowledge that he has received so he's not ever would never be punished for not knowing the name of Jesus but let's not fool ourselves either Paul says it is enough to leave him without excuse before God. And so here's what we need to know. To think otherwise, to think that that he should be okay out there, is to imply that rejecting God is not as serious as rejecting Christ. But it is. So if that native or whoever has never heard, rejects that knowledge that he has, that's what he will be responsible for. The one who has no possible way of knowing about Jesus will not be punished for rejecting Jesus, but for rejecting the God that he does know. Now here's a side note on that that whole question about what about the, the native somewhere that's never heard. There's another way we can deal with that. And that is this. The only reason that question is even still asked is because of disobedience to the Great Commission. We can eradicate that question from ever being asked by making sure that everyone hears the name of Jesus. And that's what we're called to do in terms of global missions. And that's one reason why our church is so involved. We've got people over in Spain right now. One on the way to Haiti. That's why. Because we want to do our part in making sure that, that that question shouldn't even be asked. That everyone has the opportunity to hear the name of Jesus and see their need for him. Now, closer to home. Instead of that innocent native somewhere or the native out there somewhere. What, what is the plight then of the agnostic or the atheist. And it's very likely that some of you here are in that category. I'm glad you're here. What is the plight, though? Well, if what Paul says is true... The atheist, you know know the difference. The atheist is the one who says there is no God. The agnostic basically says if there is a God, I don't know about him or I can't know about him. The scripture here says in your heart of hearts, you may call yourself an atheist or an agnostic, but you know down deep there is a God. You may be suppressing it. You may have convinced yourself that there is a a watch and a painting without without a watchmaker and an artist. But down deep, you know. The atheist is choosing to say, there is no evidence, even though it's all around him. And the agnostic is insulting God by saying he hasn't provided enough evidence. Both are in a dangerous place. And this passage says, you stand without excuse. So what's it mean to the Romans? Well, Paul is saying, here, you you people in Rome, you don't have... Churches, you don't have many preachers or Bibles or you don't have radio programs, but you're without excuse. And what about us? We have all of those by grace. If you, if you came today and you had never heard the name of Jesus or that that we need to trust him alone for our eternal life. Now you have. So you can never say, I'm, I've got an excuse. I've, I've never heard. We have all those things by his grace. You know the name of Jesus. We must flee from our excuses to the merciful Savior. Who has revealed himself in our world and in his word? Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart to see you, not just around us, but see you in your word. How gracious and merciful you are that you would let us hear the name of Jesus. You would let us know the specifics of how loving you are. We thank you for that, and I pray that even today that for those who who walked in these doors denying you that you would draw them to yourself and your mercy and your grace and your love. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.